Wait, so you would or you wouldn't host an event? You said you would not be I, willing to. I would not like to be honest with you. It's like. Uh, it's so much effort. My guest today is Nick Cray, entrepreneur and author of The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, a step-by-step -step handbook that teaches you how to make new friends and build a strong network by hosting small gatherings. My goal is to really tell people like you, you should be going through life collecting interesting people. You need to be thinking about, hey, who's cool? Who do I like talking? Into. You should be getting people's names and emails. And then once a quarter, you host a little happy hour where you invite all those interesting people to come hang out and meet up. In this conversation, Nick reveals the secret behind being the person that everyone wants to talk to and the formula for hosting successful events. The number one fear for a new host. What do you think it is? That no one shows up. Exactly. Ding, 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 ding. Listen to this Berlin girl. She knows exactly uh. what's up. Okay. <laughs> The formula is so effective and Nick is so convincing that I decided to accept his challenge to host my very first small gathering, which is no small feat considering that I'm an introvert and the thought of hosting my very first gathering honestly scares me. So follow me on social media to know what was the outcome. And with this, enjoy this episode. Nick, welcome to Polyweb. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Wait, so you would or you wouldn't host an event? You said you would not be I, willing to? I would not, like, to be honest with you. I know, so maybe this is the, the worst way to start a podcast with this admission. And for listeners, just for context, Nick has wrote a book. It's called uh, Two Hours Cocktail Party. The goal is to learn how to build your network by hosting small gatherings and events. And like the thought of hosting my home party or my own small gathering is like, oh, it's so much effort. I don't know. It is. It It is. And I love this. I love hearing the real from you. So, so is that the big one that it's so much effort that if it was easy, then would you do it? Or is there something else? So I'm an introvert. So even though I'm not shy, right? Otherwise, you know, wouldn't have a podcast or stuff. I find the thought of interacting with so many people very energy draining, even though, you know, the crowd is interesting and I get a lot from the people, it's very mm. draining. So mm. the next days, you know, I might need to be at home uh, by myself for like four or five days after that, you know? So it's not just the wow. effort of organizing the event. It's like, how much mm. energy do I need to give and also to receive right and especially when you host an event like i'm italian you know so like italian need to make sure that older guests are well taken care of they have enough food uh, everyone is talking with each other so it's not just about you interacting with people it's also about making sure that everyone is okay at the same time and that you know the party is flowing so it's a lot of variables 
right? So it's not just the organization, it's like the entire, the, the, the during and the, and the after as well. That makes sense. I hear you saying like, oh, the day after or the days after I need to just stay at home and not leave my house. I get overwhelmed. Yeah. That happens, by the way. I call that, I don't know if I invented this term, but I call it PPD, post-party depression. <laughs> and it happens after the overstimulation of hosting an event where the next day, you actually need, it's in my book. I actually tell people, hey, plan some self-care for the day afterwards. But look, I'm talking about so much negative and I wonder whether we could shift because I have thoughts and suggestions. I've helped over 450 people now host their first meetup or happy hour. And so I've heard all these things before. They're very valid. I also have solutions for that. But my question is, do you... Can you imagine what your life might be like if you hosted events that were inspiring, that helped you build your network? What would that be like? I guess that would be amazing to be able to have that. But I need to be sure that that's not just in the moment it's not just ending with the event and that was actually one of my questions yeah. for you the main one which is one of the things that i struggle the most so i imagine that i'm probably yeah. not the only one is how do you keep contact uh, with the people that you want to keep contact with after the event how do you make those relationship meaningful so if i have the insurance somewhat that is not just about the event but the relationship that you build afterwards and those are going to be meaningful and, and long-lasting yes of course it's uh, worth the effort do you believe in the power of loose connections do you know this idea not really can you elaborate so it's basically sociologists call this either loose connections or weak ties we may just call them acquaintances. The gist is that what they found was that most large opportunities, most life-changing connections come through not our very best friends, but this external second network of acquaintances, weak connections, loose ties. So that can be the person, oh my God, I just heard a story last night where this guy said, I met my fiance at a bar. And he said, I only went to that bar because my coworkers were happening to go at that bar and they invited me to go. He said, my life is now totally different just because I joined my coworkers for a drink and I met this woman at that bar. People find out about co-founders, about investors, things like that not through their very best friends, but through a random LinkedIn post or something they're scrolling on Twitter or something like that. The idea that I'm getting at is that the benefit I have found to hosting events is that you build your network of these loose connections to increase the surface area of serendipity whether you're fundraising, looking for a founder or sponsors for your podcast, whatever it is, there's all these things people would want. 
I have found that hosting events was my very best way to grow this network of loose connections to increase my opportunity for luck and success. So that's like the reason why it might be interesting. Okay, I'm intrigued right now. Is that how you how you went into this journey and how the idea of the book came about? Is that the background? That's kind of the gist. I mean, I moved to New York City many years ago and I was not an extrovert. I still don't consider myself an extrovert. I probably am more of like an ambivert, which have you heard that word before? Not really. Yeah. It's like a little bit of an extrovert and a little bit of an introvert. Like during my own parties, I will get overwhelmed and have to sneak into my bedroom and just like close the door and scroll social media. And so that is still how I am. But when I moved to New York, actually, I was not. Oh, my God, I was so bad. I would go to these events and feel like I was a loser. I would go to these networking events and just like stand on the corners waiting for somebody to talk to me or just trying to join these conversations and feeling a little bit awkward. And I got so frustrated by that because I knew that I wanted to make friends. I wanted to create connections. I wanted to do so-called networking, right? Everybody tells you networking, your, your net worth is your network and all this stuff. But I was so bad at it. And I would leave those events feeling like a loser And I said, I want to figure this out. What's the problem? And I decided that it wasn't me that was the problem. It was the events that were the problem. That the events themselves were set up in these dark nightclubs that were way too loud, maybe too crowded. There was way too many people. The host didn't do any introductions The type of people, by the way, was very like scammy or something. I don't know. It just wasn't a good fit. And so I decided instead of going to bad events, I will learn how to host good events. And I started this journey of experimenting. And since that, over the last 15 years, I think I've hosted one event per week on average, which is insane. And I found that there was a formula that anyone could replicate to host their own event that would be successful in so much that you get your friends to mix and to mingle. So my book, you know, it's called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. But in reality, you know, it's a little bit more like a fun networking event. But it's not for work. It could be for meeting friends. There's no word for networking amongst friends. But I just found that it's hard to make new friends and everybody wants to meet people. What do you think? Yeah, it's true. But as you said, it's very hard to meet new people. And I also attended plenty of events that were not really well run, I thought. Although they were interesting, but usually the formula is something like we start with a talk or some or a panel or something like that and then because i attend mostly tech events right whether it does be you know crypto ai founders investors event like you know those type of events like they usually have this formula which is you know panel talk or initial talk or whatever 
and then drinks and networking and then you 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 go like you're a bee from from flower to flower in the attempt to talk with as many people as possible figure out uh, who's going to serve your needs you know and then right uh, exchange linkedin contacts and then leave so that's usually my experience but so i wonder what does a successful event looks like I think a successful event, here's the number one thing. A successful event looks like movement in the space. When I say movement, I'm looking for people to be having a lot of new little conversations. So this is my type of event. You may think a successful event is, you know, people are getting wasted. They're playing video games, beer pong. Maybe they're sitting on the sofa having deep conversation. For me... A good event is that people are having a lot of little conversations. I want to see the move, the room moving, people talking to new people. If I look over and 30 minutes later, everybody's in the same place talking to the same people, for me, that's not a good event, okay? Because I want the excitement of talking to new people. Now, I have found, by the way, that many people are okay or good at starting new conversations, but they're very bad at ending conversations at these networking events. Oh, yes. That's my case. I always use the toilet excuse. I'm like, I have to go to the toilet. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was at a New Year's party and I said to a woman, I was like, hey, I'm going to go mix and mingle. It was so nice to meet you. I think she was upset or not upset, but she was just like, oh, you're moving on. And we have to know as people who go to these events that it is normal to say something you are allowed to say to someone. Hold on. I'm going to sneeze. Gesundheit. Oh, my gosh. Is that going to get you. cut out? That's so embarrassing. Don't cut it out. Keep it in there. I'll it's my you. sneezing. Bless you. Thank you. But I went to this New Year's event. Anyhow. The long of it is that you are allowed to say to somebody, hey, it was really nice meeting you. I'm going to go mix and mingle, but thank you so much. My one pro tip is I also like to ask people, I say, do you use social media? Let me add you. So maybe they're on LinkedIn or something. I never, I don't like to give out my phone number, and but I will say, do you use social media? Let me follow you. So maybe they're on LinkedIn, on Twitter, something else. I think that follows are free. It doesn't cost me anything to follow someone. And it's a very easy way to end the conversation to show that I like and respect them and that I'm going to follow them. And I have found that that is a much easier, softer way to end a conversation than to just lie and say I have to use the bathroom or something like that so that's <laughs> what do you think yeah I think that it's better than you know me having to go to the toilet 30 times <laughs> during an event for <laughs> sure I'm definitely gonna steal this one and I suspect this is not the only thing that I'm gonna steal from from this conversation because God knows if I need to hear this but I like the way you tell stories so I wonder what is the most memorable event that you have either attended or hosted and what made it stand out? You know, I 
have hosted. Okay, so I'm happy to tell those stories of the best because I've gone to some crazy parties and I've hosted some crazy parties. I also struggle that when I tell those stories to people, they are a little bit alienating for the audience that I'm trying to reach because like I'm trying to reach someone who, who I just want them to host a happy hour for their friends and neighbors. And then I tell this story of like, Oh, for my birthday, I rented out an indoor water park and it was just for me and my friends. And we rode water slides and we had private masseuse and photographer and like blah, blah, blah. And I tell those stories and people are like, what? I can't do that. Or like, that's too big. So I can tell you that story, but I'll tell you that my goal is to really tell people like you, you should be going through life in Berlin, collecting interesting people. What does that mean? It means any event that you go to, you need to be thinking about, hey, who's cool? Who who do I like talking to? Who, who am I curious? Who do I want to have another conversation with? And every event, you should be getting people's names and emails or whatever. And then once a quarter, once every three months, you host a little happy hour where you invite all those interesting people to come hang out and meet up. And now you introduce them to each other. You say, oh, my God, I meet so many interesting people here in Berlin. We're all so busy. But this is a good way for me to invite all the interesting people I meet because I think you all should know each other whether it's for networking or just making friends or hobby, people connect with that message. They will love you for doing that. Okay. Let's explore this. I love it. So let's go part one. You go to events and trying to collect as many interesting people as possible so that you can invite them afterwards to your own uh, small events. We'll get to organizing these small events, you know, afterwards but first of all how do you spot and i guess of course this definition might vary or what you classify as interesting right but broadly speaking Mm. how do you spot interesting people among a crowd you know that in a gathering Mm. right which conversely also can apply to to yourself you know how can you be the interesting person that people want to talk to. So how do you spot them? And how do you become one of them? Wow, this is such a good question. Nobody asked me this before, but I'll tell you some ideas. Okay. Number one, what broadly speaking, what's the definition of an interesting person? I would say that it's someone who you would like to talk to again. Let's keep it as simple as that. Because at the beginning of your hosting journey, You do not have a big enough network probably to try to curate a meetup just for Rust programmers or something like that, okay? You're just going to host for like some people. That's a big piece of advice that I want to say that for your first party, you should cast a wide net and not try to go special. What do I mean by go special? Don't invite an investor who you want to impress. Mm. Do not invite your boss to your first party. Your first party is a practice party with neighbors, their significant others, people you know, people you feel safe and comfortable with. Think about your first party like a practice. Just like programming, just like going to the gym, it takes practice. And so your first one, low stakes. 
Later on, yes, you can curate. Now, how do you find interesting people at a party? It's hard to say. Two ways I can think about it is number one, get good at starting, but also get good at ending conversations. Challenges that I've given to people, because occasionally people like want to hire me to like help them meet new people and I never take their money. I'm always like, I'll just do it because it's fun for me. And this sounds crazy. And you're insane if you want to work with me, but let's do it. And so I'll go with them to a networking event. And they'll say, oh, okay, I think I'm ready to leave. And I'll say, really? You're ready to leave? How many people you talk to? They say, oh, I talked to six people. I said, great. We can leave when you've talked to six more people. And you only have 10 minutes to do that. Your challenge begins, go now. And they're like, what? I talked to six people in a whole hour. How am I going to talk to six people in 10 minutes? I said, I don't know. You figure it out. And doing those little challenges with friends, okay, they seem so silly. And I don't want it to feel like you're causing trouble or you're making people feel bad to talk to you. But sometimes they'll go up and they say, hey, my name is Diane. I really wanted to meet you. I'm on a challenge. I'm trying to meet 10 people in 10 minutes. So can we just say hello real quick? And people are actually receptive to that. When you're like up front, they're at an event to meet people. Remember this. If someone did not want to meet people, they would have stayed home. They would not have gone out to the event. We go to these events to meet people. So anyhow, that's one thing that you could do. How can you be interesting? I don't know. The only thing I would say is that people can feel the energy that like if you're done with the conversation, then be done with it. There's a friend of mine who says, you know, stop trying to be interesting and start being interested so that means get really interested in the other person. Be curious about them and what they're doing. But I don't think I have good advice. What's your advice? What do you think people should do? I'm probably the wrong person to ask this. <laughs> but I totally believe in what you say, that people can feel your energy. And so if you approach the conversation with the intention of giving and being open, sometimes... When I start a conversation with someone, I envision like in my mind a door that is opening. It's like me literally opening to the other person, their experience, their energy. And I do it like before the in any interviews also for the podcast. I envision myself opening to the guest and receiving their experience and just be like fully present in the conversation and I try not to worry about uh, oh, what I'm going to say next or is this going to sound smart because as soon as I do that uh, the conversation stops flowing and yeah. and I try to do yeah. that also during when I go to events uh, and conversation etc so I'm not sure if that helps but this is the way I envision this nice I like that I like just going with the flow and not having a plan yeah so, Do you use any specific questions when you meet somebody for the first time? Do you have any go-to questions that you ask instead of what do you do for work? This is something that I struggle with, like opening, opening conversation. So huh. if we just listen to a talk or a panel, like is often the case, I might reference that a particular passage and ask for the person's opinion. I 
will try to find something funny or weird like in the in the events organization or, or stuff like that to reference but every time i kind of struggled doing that also like mm. in dating mm. apps to be honest with you i never know what to say at the beginning i know it's really hard it's really hard yes 1000% do you have any such and by the way i'm dating huh on for events yes let me give a suggestion for events, this is so silly. It's so silly because whenever you say lines to people or you say stuff, the mechanics of it sound very silly. And I recognize that. But I tend, because I'm trying to be more chill energy at an event to get people to open up, I will ask people, how was your day? And I say it in a very grounded like, hey, how was your day? And it's one of those questions that kind of snaps you out of the networking. I say it like I would say to a friend almost. And I genuinely want to know, how is their day? Are they stressed? Are they anxious? Are they excited to be there? Are they happy? Are they tired? And for me, that helps kind of approach the conversation. I don't know. It seems so silly. Whenever I give like specific, I'm like, try this one question <laughs> to change your life. I don't know. It's silly. Okay, but but then usually people answer, yeah, all good, you know, and that the problem then starts again because there is nothing that you can use afterwards, you know? Frankly, if somebody did that to me, then I would say, okay, cool. Like, have a nice night. Like, I would move on okay. because if they're not doing that, then that's a very good screening thing for me. Or maybe they're just not willing or ready. And maybe I need to go first to share and to give a little to them. That's something else that I like to tell people is many times we meet someone and we tend to go to like interview mode, which is to say, we're like, what do you do for work? How did you get involved in that? What is this? What is this? We're asking them all these questions and I think when I meet somebody first, I should tell some stories and let me carry a little bit of the weight, at least for the first 30 to 50 seconds, not to put the burden on them. And then I will ask them questions, but I like to do that to show a bit of myself first. Yeah, that works also for interviews. Like, that's what I notice. You know, if I interact and I also give something of myself as opposed to just asking question upon question upon question, then the, the guest also is more willing than afterwards to open up and share more. And that makes the overall interview more interesting. I'm sorry for listeners if I bore them, but usually that's, I notice that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. let's say, and I'm not going to say yet that I'm going to do it, but let's say I'm considering hosting my own first small event. So how should I go about planning the entire thing, starting from picking the right location, then, you know, like, the, should I serve some food? Should I serve some drinks? You know, who do I invite? When do I invite the people? And, and then we can talk about the, the actual event, 
right? So this is all the part before the organization, let's say. Okay, here is the first thing that if you are thinking about doing it, the first thing that you would do is you would make the commitment and pick a date. And so that means you would open your calendar and you would look three or four or five weeks in advance. Now, this is important because many people make the problem. They say, oh, I'm going to host a party. Today is Monday. I'll host a party on Friday. Well, that's why many parties fail. By the way, the number one fear for a new host, what do you think it is? What do you think the number one fear for a new host is? That no one shows up. Exact. Ding, 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 ding. Listen to this Berlin girl. She knows yeah. exactly what's up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that will That's be exactly bad. right. It's that nobody, everybody is worried about yeah. that, that nobody will show up. And so, so much of my job, so much of my practice of my book is all about making sure that people will show up and that you will have a full house. Okay. And so that's the first thing you do is you choose at least three to four weeks in advance to give you plenty of time for what I call the party runway. Ooh. And that just gives you enough time to guarantee that you have a minimum of about 15 people. Maximum in my mind is 22 or 23. So minimum 15. And I found through many, through hosting hundreds of my own parties, that less than 15 there's just not enough people. It's actually more stressful for you. Really? More work for introverts, less people. Because when there's less people, you now have to babysit. You now have to be involved in all of those conversations. There's not enough energy for people to jump between groups. Think about it. A group of seven or eight, they're all going to stand in a circle the same circle. They're going to look to you to lead the conversation. It's awkward, whatever. 15 or 16, you can imagine there's different groups, one group of two, a group of three. There's other groups of two. There's enough where people can bounce around and you as the host get to just step away from the party. Mm. So that's really important, by the way. A lot, Like a lot of introverts and people with social anxiety, they actually love my book because it tells them exactly what to do and they feel like they have a role. They now know what to do to run an event. So anyhow, first step is to pick a date. Second step is to think about who your core group would be. Core group is what I call the, let's say five or six people that if only they showed up, if nobody else came, if only these five people came, you would still have fun. And so this is a group that you feel comfortable with, that you know, maybe they will laugh at your jokes. It's a group that you know and you feel safe with. And starting with that core group is where many people make a mistake because you're going to get that core group to buy in to your date and time. So let's say that you chose, you know, February 4th at 7 p.m. You have to choose, by the way, both a start time and an end time. That's very important. So I, when I was in New York, things were later. So I did 7 to 9 p.m. Now I'm in Texas. People do earlier here. So 5 to 7 p.m. 
here in Texas. What what is Berlin like? What time would you do it in Berlin? Six to nine, I will say. Yeah, six six very six to nine. However, remember that this is a two hour cocktail party. Yeah, that's true. So it's not a three hour party. So maybe seven to nine, as in New York. Good. The reason that we do two hours, by the way, should I tell you? Yeah, I was about to ask you, like, what two hours? The reason you do two hours is, number one, it compresses the awkward zone. The awkward zone is that first 30 minutes of a gathering where nobody really shows up on time. Or maybe the people who show up on time, you know the least, right? They're the most awkward and they need the most help. When you host an event that's only two hours, it compresses the awkward zone, right? Because nobody's going to show up an hour late. When the party's only two hours, they won't show up one hour late. They're going to miss half the party, right? Oh, that's my strategy usually. The other reason <laughs> yes, my strategy. is to show up an hour late. To miss. Yeah, 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 basically, yeah. Because everyone is already there, so I can kind of observe the situation. <laughs> I can see what's going on. <laughs> By the way, I would challenge you on that uh -huh. because I received a question last night. Somebody said, hey, what's your advice? If I don't know anybody, but I want to go to these networking events that are overwhelming, how can I do better? So I said, do this next time. Don't show up an hour late. Show up five minutes early. They said, what? Why would I show up when nobody's there? I said, for two reasons. Number one. So you can introduce yourself to the host and ask if you can help. Be useful. Help out, right? Get time with the host. Think about it. The most important person there is the host, and they're going to be way too busy later on at night to remember you or think anything. But if you show up five minutes early, you introduce yourself, you ask how you can help. I think that's nice. Number two, as an introvert or as a shy person who doesn't know anybody, I feel more comfortable when I show up early and I see the party grow around me as opposed to me walking into a crowded, loud room where I am now entering a space that I feel unwelcome. It's much easier for me to go into a space that there's less people and then I see it grow around me. I feel more of a sense of control and ownership. Anyhow, what do you think? Do you hate that? I think it makes sense, yeah. actually. Because usually my strategy mm. is like the other way around. I will arrive last because then I can observe yeah. the situation. Mm. Yeah. What's the party like? What's the crowd like? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. if I don't like it, I'll just leave immediately without even attempting. So I'm basically giving myself excuses. So I think I'm going to give it a try. Okay, challenge accepted. Challenge accepted on this one. So if you're hosting your own party, then you pick that idea of the core group. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to text them the following message. Each of them. You're not going to send a mass text. You're going to text them this. You're going to say, Sarah, I'm thinking of hosting a happy hour on February 7th from 7 to 9 p.m. If I do it, would you come? Now, this is your core group. It's the people you're comfortable with. So you don't have to explain more, you know, but you're asking them to make a commitment. And you're only doing this, by the way, to your close friends, not some random person you just met. Okay, well, we're going to send them a different message later. But you are not going to host your party until you get five people who say yes. 
Once you get those first five, then you should have more of a sense of confidence that this will at least be an interesting event because five people who you like will be coming. That sense of confidence will allow you now to have one or two weeks to invite a wider group of people that I call your great guests. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to try to fill it up to get 15, 16, 18, 20 people. How should the criteria of curating the guests look like? So I get that the first event should be somewhat of a trial. So you, you shouldn't invite, like, if you're a founder, maybe investors uh, or stuff like that. So you should invite people that you're relatively comfortable with and that if some somehow you screw up something because it's the first time that you're hosting anything, uh, it's still acceptable. But as you grow your expertise, let's say, in hosting events, and maybe I'm, I'm like jumping ahead and skipping three levels. How do you think about curating mm-hmm. your guest list? For the beginner host, for you, for people listening, your first party is practice. You do not want to try to curate it because I simply want you to get the mechanics of running and working a room. Mm-hmm. I will say this about couples and their spouses and their partners. Know that if you are inviting someone plus their spouse or their significant other, their girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, be aware that if one of them cancels, likely both of them will cancel. Now, that is a problem because you need to have a minimum 15 people show up. I talked to a woman three weeks ago. She said, oh, I'm hosting a party in my neighborhood and it's fighting all the parents, blah, blah, blah. She had 16 people who said yes. She said, great, minimum's 15, I have 16. Well, then two people had to cancel. But because those two canceled, four actually canceled. And so now she went from 16 to 12. Anyhow, your first party, you can curate it with no curation. Just have people that are interesting that you want to mix and mingle. Later on, yes, you can curate if you want to. Somebody told me that they hosted a bachelor party and they did co-ed no couples. Because when we tend, it's not like it was a singles party, but it's just that when we come with a significant other, a business partner, a spouse, we tend to stick to those conversations, kind of a safe space. And when you come alone, but I don't have a lot of thoughts. My goal in hosting is really to help people learn how to host to learn the mechanics, to learn like the operating system of a gathering. And then you can write your own software on top of that. Your own software is how you curate it. Yes, yes. How you plan it, themes, game nights, whatever. Okay, loving the analogy. Is there a particular effective way of inviting someone to a party so that they are incentivized to come? And is there a way to make it fun? I like to invite them. So for the core group, you do what I said to do, right? Where you send them a message and you're going to say, if I do it, okay. For the greater guests, I like to say something like, hey, I've met all these interesting people here in Berlin, including you. I'm going to host a happy hour to mix and mingle my random friend groups. 
the date and time is this, can I send you the information? That's the phrase I use. Can I send you the information? Not will you come, uh-huh. not do you want to come, but simply can I send you the information? That means that they're open to it. And then I'll send them the info and the link to sign up an RSVP. You have to collect RSVPs, by the way. That's a whole nother thing. But that's an easy way for them to check their calendar, see if they're interested. And then you send them the info and they almost always, if they say yes to the info, they almost always say yes, they'll come. Okay. So let's say I send my RSVP. I get a bunch of yes. Hooray. Uh, the event is happening. Okay. So I get my yes. 16 people. Let's say I find a location. By the way, how do I find a location? a suitable one, because I'm certainly not going to host 16 people at my place. Let's see. Now, let me challenge you on that. Why not host 16 people at your place? My place is small <laughs> and they wouldn't fit. So let's say yeah, you have problem space, right? So I actually think that's a feature, not a bug. Really? I believe that hosting at home for 95% of the people is the correct move. And I'll tell you why. Number one, note that there should not be seating, right? You actually don't want people to sit down. Sitting down is the kryptonite to a successful party like this. Because remember before when I said I want to see movement Mm -hmm. and new conversations? Sitting down is different right? That's a different type of gathering for people that are friends who know each other or who want to have longer, deeper conversations. This type of party is meant to have a lot of little conversations. So actually, everybody should be standing. You'd actually remove some of the chairs to make it more room and more space. When you host at home, it's a very generous, vulnerable act, To invite someone into your home is a very vulnerable thing that is almost like going on a little date with them. They come into your home. I mean, that's very vulnerable, right? And what I find is it turbocharges your relationship with that person. You immediately go to a deeper connection when you invite them into your home. They're like, oh my God, I know this girl. She invited me to her home. Like she's now my friend. Like this is different than if you're like, oh, let's have a networking event at a bar. That's just not, that's very business, right? Yeah, it makes sense, I guess. You sort of look skeptical. What do you think? What do you think? I'll tell more. I have more thoughts, but Uh so far. It's actually because it feels very intimate, you know? So I will be okay with the five, six uh, friends, of course, that are my closest friend of coming to my place. But all of the 16 people that maybe I barely know, you know, the rest, I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah. However, for me, it's convenient because like in my building, there is a club room. So I guess that I will be using that. And it's like big enough. Good. Uh, I will just need yeah. to remove the chairs. So you can use the club room or you could, frankly, there's many people who have apartments that they said, look, I got this big home. I really got it because I want to host, but I never host. So you could pair up with somebody who could be your co-host and you could do it at their place. But I think doing it at a home or in a common room, it's also very generous Mm -hmm. because now you get to provide the drinks, the snacks. By the way, you don't need to have a lot of food. 
You don't need to have sophisticated bar. You as an Italian, yeah, you're like, I hate now. this idea. This is terrible. Yeah, I'm dying yeah, now. This is so bad. I hate it. It's bad. It's terrible. But but it's a, but the thing is is I, yeah, so, no, but it's relieving, you know, because it's less stress. <laughs> it's less stress, and I found that I would rather have someone leave my party hungry rather than bored. True. So I encourage everybody to think a lot more about the people and the conversations and less about the food. Because many times people say, oh, what was the thing that you said at the beginning? I don't want to host. It's too much work. It's too much work. And you're thinking it's so much work because you have to feed people. You have to plan all the food and you're going to spend all of your time shopping and preparing and this and that. That's not what's important. What's important is the connections. By the way, when you host a two-hour party, it is much less work. You will be shocked at how easy it is. I talked to a woman. Her name's Tatiana. She read my book, and she she's now hosted three or four parties. And the last party after I talked to her, it was her birthday party. And she said, it was the easiest birthday party I've ever hosted in my whole life. It was so stress-free. She said, because I simply knew what to do. And I had all my supplies and everything, and I just ran it. She said it only took me one or two hours. It was the easiest thing I've ever done. Hosting events is a skill that you can get good at, and it can change your life. You should be doing this. Remember, the people that have the most success with hosting are those that learn to make hosting a habit. One party a quarter, every three months can change your life. I promise you. And it gets so easy the more you do it. It's amazing. I'm halfway convinced. I have to be honest with you. Halfway. So you're getting halfway. me there. Okay. You're getting, I believe maybe at the end, okay. by the end of this interview, because now we have the most anxiety feeling part for me. Okay, let's say mm. we've gone through yeah. the hoops. And to be honest with you, is it sounds much easier than I picture it on my mind. Like in my mind, it sounded way more work intense, the preparation. But let's say today is the day. The day that I finally host my first small gathering. And already the day, like I started a day filled with anxiety because I don't know if people will actually show up and then they show up. How do I make sure that the event is successful so that people mingle together? There is movement, as you say, because yes. I feel like as the host, yeah. you are kind of responsible for creating this starting at least the movement, you know, of the people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You have to be the leader. You need to lead your event. What I don't want you to do is to be what Priya Parker, who wrote an amazing book called The Art of Gathering, what Priya calls the chill host. Okay. And the chill host, this probably happens in Berlin all the time. Someone says, oh, no, I'm not going to do name tags. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do any icebreakers. You know, I'm just a chill host. I'm just a chill. My friends can just come over and hang out and meet up. You know, I went to a party on New Year's Eve at a very fancy house with a very successful gentleman. And he said, no, no, no. You know, you got two hours. You can go meet people all on your own. Well, I'm actually fighting against that idea of the chill host. Because I believe, especially for introverts, they appreciate a little bit of structure. 
So you're wondering what happens on the day of the party? Think about my name. My name is Nick, N-I-C-K. Each of those letters stands for something. N stands for name tags. You're actually going to do name tags at your party. I promise you they work. When you tell people in advance that there are name tags and you tell them why, even in Germany, even in Europe, people will appreciate them. You say, because look, I know all these random, interesting people. Not everybody knows each other. I'm bad with names. I want you all to meet. And so we'll have name tags, first name only. All the letters stand for something. N is for name tags. I, N-I-C-K. N name tags. I stands for icebreakers or introductions. You will lead two or three rounds of introductions at the party to help people both start new conversations and end their existing conversations. The book that I wrote called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party lists exactly the scripts of what to say, how to run them, how to introduce them, exactly what. I can give you examples later if you want. N-I-C. C stands for cocktails or mocktails only. No dinner. Do not do a dinner party. It's too complicated, too advanced. It's too stressful. And then the K stands for kick them out at the end. The party's only two hours long. And I have a whole chapter of exactly how to end your party, what to say, things like that. But I find when you end the party on a high note, when you finish it, when things are going well, it gives you a sense of relief that you get to finish. You get to end early. You get to clean tidy. So you wake up the next day with a fresh house. And also, when you end it early, people actually are thankful for this. Now, by the way, this only works when you host it on a weekday night. Yeah. So I suggest people host on Tuesday, Wednesday nights. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, people want to go out. This is their big night for many people to go out. They don't want you to end your party after two hours. But on a weekday, people like it, appreciate it, and they leave your party wanting more. That's the important part. They leave wanting more. So they cannot wait for you to invite them to your next party. And they tell their friends, oh my gosh, this party was great. I love the idea. I actually think that this, I, this thing of putting a clear end, end time to the party and then sort of, I wouldn't say kick people, people out, but like end the party when you say it's going to end is actually great and in any preserve maybe like this mystery that as you say once people like let people wanting for for more leave sorry leave people wanting for more you know so i think that's actually that's great true. i haven't considered that it's uh, true ever it's... yeah because think have you ever been at a party and you can just feel it winding down and like the energy is just drifting and it's getting worse and worse. And then eventually it's so bad where you're like, okay, I guess I'll leave now. Instead, when you end it on a, like at the high note, that's what people remember. You know, there's studies about this, that people remember the beginning and the end and they, they remember how you made them feel. And so if you can end the party with them feeling great, having so much fun and leave them wanting more, then they will refer you to other people. They'll say, oh my gosh, you got to be my friend. She hosts the best little meetups. Please invite her next time. And they'll want to come back the next time because hosting is something that you should do regularly. Remember, anyone can write a book to teach you how to host one party that you host once and never again. 
I think I've developed an operating system for gatherings that can be applied to anything, a launch party, a housewarming party, a birthday party, whatever. That is the gist. That's, yeah. I really love that. Let's say that maybe it's my first party. People, they are not mingling or I have last minute's cancellation and some of the people are not showing up. So I have like, I don't know, eight people coming. Okay. So how in general will I handle unexpected or challenging situations in this case? So there's backups that I have on backup emergency little games you can have available or something. But in helping over 420, 50, 400 plus people host their events, I've never heard of somebody who only had eight people show up. And I'll tell you why. Because many, much of my book is to make sure that you have over 90% of everybody who says they're going to come actually comes. And one of the ways that we do that is the double opt-in party invites saying, hey, can I send you the info? Then once they say yes, then they sign up, they RSVP. You send three reminder messages leading up to the party. You're generating excitement. I have some secret weapons, like a thing called guest bios that gets them excited. So your attendance should actually be very large and very good. In the event that people aren't mixing, what you do is you lead these icebreakers and introductions that give people conversational crutches on how to go start the new conversations. And so many people hate icebreakers because they've seen them done poorly. Remember that a good icebreaker is a fast icebreaker, especially with more people. And you're simply wanting to get people comfortable introducing themselves and talking. You'll be surprised though. I'd say that that's one of the most interesting things I hear is that, wow, I never thought that this person and this person would become friends. I never would have thought. They're so different. But when you get different people together in a room, you'll be surprised. You're smiling or laughing. Has that happened to you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm smiling because you're right. You know, I've seen these synergies, you know, happening and it's quite magical, actually. It's nice, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the... That's the magic that we can create as hosts. And it's why I'm so passionate about getting people to host it. It really has changed my life. And I've seen all the friendships I've created for my friends. And that's where I start. I start at trying to add value. And then it brings value to me. Why do you think this changed your life? Because this is a, like you've been repeating this for basically the entire interview. And every friend until now basically until the very end to ask you this question, but in which ways would you say that these change your life and why? Look at my last business. My last business was called Museum Hack. I did these museum experiences. I launched that business based on the network I built from hosting parties. People had come to my parties. They knew that I was a good person that I hosted a good event, they were much more willing to listen to my new business and to support it, to introduce me to other people because of all the value that I had created. I hear all the time from people, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm building an app. I want to host a launch party for my app. I say, okay, cool. Have you ever hosted anything before? Do you have a warm list? They say, no, 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 this, I'm going to do it for the app. I say, what? Why would somebody want to come to that? They've never been to one of your parties. It's going to be hard. Make your life easier. Start to host events first. So 
you know, there are things like that, that it has changed my life from a big perspective to help me start a multi-million dollar company. But then I look at all the friends that I have made who I first met them through inviting them to one of my events. And I created and built those relationships through the beginning of first having them come to a party. And those are friends that I that have changed my life in so many ways. They inspire me, they encourage me, they support me. And so seeing those relationships. And the last way that's changed my life is just all the new connections that I have created for my friends. My friend Blaine and Vanessa, they're now like best friends. They met at one of my events and, I, and they're so happy. They're so thankful. They thank me all the time for introducing them. And that is the magic that you can create. It's not rocket science, by the way. Many of your listeners are doing hard work to start companies and things like that. Hosting events is not hard. You just have to have the courage and commitment to do it. So when you meet new people during one of your events, is that because you allow people on your guest list to invite other people as well that you don't know? And so the network get larger and larger, or how do you keep uh, meeting new people otherwise? A little bit is if somebody brings a guest, but mostly it happens that I will use my party as the first connection. Maybe I see someone on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. Oh, okay. And instead of messaging them to say, hey, would love to connect and pick your brain. Ugh, barf, I hate that. <laughs> Instead of that, th then I'll say, hey, I host these events for all the interesting people I meet in Austin. Can I send you the info next time I'm hosting one? Almost, look, here's a secret. Everyone wants to be invited to a party. Everyone wants to get the invitation to an interesting event. Much easier for them to say yes to come to a cool thing like that then meet me one-on-one -on -one for coffee. So I meet a lot of people through that outreach and I invite them to my party. They see that I'm a good person, that I host a nice event, that I'm interesting. Look, interesting people want to meet other people that are interesting. And the most easiest way to be interesting is to host a good event. That is what I have found and it works, I promise you. Okay. Interesting. Can I ask, uh, how do you nurture those relationships right uh, afterwards? Uh, after you meet those people and you invite them to your party and you want to keep in touch, you want them to be part of your network. And mind you, your, your network is expanding. So the more people you add, the more people you need to keep contact with. So how do you do that? How often do you interact with, with the people that you meet at your parties and you want to keep contact with? And in which way? That's, for example, one of the things that I struggle the most with is actually, aside from my very close friends, of course, I struggle to keep in contact with those loose connection. Hosting a party is a great way to simply stay in contact with your loose connections. So maybe you don't even think about hosting for the purpose of new mm. people. 
you simply think about hosting for all these loose connections that you haven't talked to in three, six, nine months. Hosting a party is a great way for you to stay in contact and keep those connections, what I say, warm or active. Then at the party, maybe you say, oh my gosh, I really like this person. I, you know, I thought they were a loose connection, but I would like for them to be more of a friend. Here's exactly what to do. You have to plan at the party to see them again sometime. So I don't suggest that people wait a week later or something to follow up. What I say is, look, host your party, run the first hour, and then step aside at your party and say, hmm, who do I really like here that I want to see again? And so then I will go up to that person. Let's say his name is David. And he's been at my party for an hour now, and he sees it's a good event. He's having a good time. So I would then say to David, I'd say, hey, David, thank you so much for coming tonight. Look, I've been so busy tonight. I didn't have a chance to kind of catch up with you. Can I call you tomorrow or send you a text tomorrow? Let's meet up. Let's have a coffee sometime. Almost every single time somebody says yes to that. That's my suggestion for probably for you. You can just think about hosting these parties for these loose connections that you don't get a chance to meet with one-on-one. Also another thing that I never thought of, and that's actually brilliant. I have one last question. It is related to online events because you Mm -hmm. write very specifically about in-person physical events. And like that works quite well, I think, especially if you leave, um, I don't know, in Berlin or in Austin as you live. Mm -hmm. You also have Mm -hmm. access to and you can tap into an uncommon network living in those type Mm -hmm. of cities, which is not... Mm -hmm. Something that maybe someone in that lives, you know, in smaller cities or can tap into, let's say that that could be one. But aside from that, Mm. we spend our life online, basically. So Mm. what about instead hosting uh, online gatherings or online events? Well, I have some bad news. I hate online events. Okay. Fair enough. I don't like them myself. And yet I think that you can use social media, newsletters, things like that to keep your connections warm. But my expertise and my belief is that we need that live sort of in person. I haven't found any good way to host an online event that feels even 10% as exciting as a live meetup. I'm sure there's other people out there who are good at this, who can give good advice. Maybe someone can prove me wrong. But my expertise is decidedly in in in-person live events. Yeah, I will tend to agree with you. Like online events are always kind of, yeah. I mean, at least until we're confined by by the screens, right? Maybe when we have uh, virtual reality, they will feel like real to be in the room with someone else, then maybe that will change interaction and maybe that will be part two of the book. Uh, Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe with the virtual stuff. I like playing in VR, by the way. I've been experimenting. You did? How did you find it? I have the MetaQuest 3 and I, I like playing games with my friends in that. I think it's interesting. I think it's really interesting. That's much better than Zoom. Oh my God, it's so much better than Zoom. Yeah, true. Nick, we are approaching the the end of the interview. Is there 
anything that we haven't covered that you think it's important for listeners? I think just know that hosting events is a skill that anyone can learn how to do. And the bar is so low for a good event today that if you just do a few of the things that I've talked about, you can exceed and be known as a great host. I myself have hosted hundreds, if not thousands of events, but I've also taught hundreds of people how to become a host and it has changed their life to help them start businesses, meet partners, or just build an active social life to have a full social calendar. Anyone can learn how to do this. You just have to get started. You know, I think I'm actually going to do it. And I'm not saying this for the sake of the interview. I never say things that I don't meant to follow through, especially not publicly recorded. So I think I'm going to make it uh, a goal of mine that from now until the next, yeah, three months, so this quarter, I'm going to host my first small gathering and I'm going to make it so simple for myself that I cannot say no, you know? I like it. I like it. You can do it. You'll do I'll great. You know. I'll send you like uh, proof and then I'll bother you maybe if I have some questions. Oh, please. You have to send me a selfie from the party. Please. I will. Okay, Nick, would you like to remind listeners how they can keep in touch with you and where they can find your book, The Two Hours Cocktail Party? Yes, please. So my name is Nick Gray. I'm on all social medias. I'm very active on X and Instagram. My name there is at Nick Gray News, N-E-W-S. And the name of my book, it's called The Two Hour Cocktail Party. I recorded the audiobook myself. So if you like listening to things, check out the audiobook. I think it's pretty good. And if you think you want to host a party, I would love to be your accountability buddy. And I work on this full time now. There's no charge for it. Just shoot me an email. My email's in the book or message me on social media. And I would love, my goal is to help 500 people host their first event. And I think that, you know, we can all use a new friend these days. So even if you just host it for friends and not for networking, people will really love it. And you'll help make the world a little bit better place. I'm definitely going to take you up for on the offer of being the accountability partner. And we're going to leave all your social media and the link to your book in the show notes and, the, and in the YouTube description. Nick, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for sharing all your tips and all of your advice. And oh my God, I can't believe I committed to actually doing this. <laughs> I'm so excited. Thank you. More parties. And for listeners, I'll see you on the next episode. Bye. That's all from today's episode. Thank you so much for watching or listening. If you find this episode valuable, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to the Polyweb podcast on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. It would be fantastic if you could leave us a rating, a review, or a comment, as this really helps other listeners find the show. All the resources mentioned in this episode will be linked in the description and in the show notes. See you on the next episode. And if you cannot wait until next week, you can watch this episode right here that relates to some of the things that we talk about in this episode. Bye.